If you just adjusted the volume on your media player, you're probably not alone, and you're definitely in the right place. This is the I Hear Design Podcast, and I'm Robert Yemnan, Editor-at-Large of Interiors and Sources. I wanted to kick off today's episode with a sound we've all grown too accustomed to, a noisy interior space. Today we're kicking off a series on acoustics, and I thought a little extra clatter would actually help illustrate today's topic well. I thought it was important that we address this topic right now because we've all heard the complaints about the open office and how difficult it is to get work done when the noise levels are through the roof. And we're seeing a lot of different types of solutions coming to market to address the problem of both visual uh, and sound privacy in the workplace. Everything from hanging and wall-mounted or movable acoustic panels to freestanding privacy pods that kind of harken back to the the old days of phone booths, uh, which we'll talk about in greater detail in another episode in the series. But today I'd like to focus on a solution on the market that probably everyone is familiar with by now, uh, which is sound masking systems. So as part of the ABCs of Acoustics, which most of you listeners are probably familiar with by now, the ABC acronym stands for Absorb, Block, and Cover. And sound masking systems are focused on the cover part of the equation by adding white noise to help mask um, other unwanted noises in the workplace such as that nearby coworker who can't seem to modulate their speaking voice or take personal calls that make you feel awkward. (laughs) You know who I'm talking about. So how do sound masking systems work? Um, Are they really effective in dealing with the noise issues in the workplace? And what should you look for when specifying a sound masking system? To help answer these questions and others, I've invited Nicholas Moeller, Vice President of Logison Acoustic Networks, to join us. Nicholas, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So for our listeners who may not be familiar with the Logison Acoustic Networks, can you tell us a little bit about what you guys specialize in? So we uh, are a global leader in the development and manufacturing of electronic sound masking systems exclusively. It's a technology that we have uh, focused on developing since 1978. So we are now in our 42nd year of uh, focusing on on this type of uh, approach. We have been a technological uh, leader in the marketplace, most significantly in 2003. Uh, we introduced the, the Logison uh, networked technology, which was the world's first uh, networked solution, uh, mm-hmm. and which really sort of set a new bar for sound masking system performance and increased the, the range of flexibility and control that you had with those types of systems. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's great. And we, we love hearing from the experts. So um, uh, let's just uh, dive into the topic for today. So as, as I kind of mentioned there in the intro, you know, there seems to be a lot of interest in acoustics these days, uh, particularly in the workplace where the open office is prevalent as far as workplace design. Um, why do you think there's such an impact you know, that acoustics have on occupants in the space? Uh, like, in other words, like, why does it really matter so much? So I think it's uh, probably best to think of acoustics as another critical part of the indoor workplace environment. So it's a similar indoor environmental quality to, you know, light levels, temperature, humidity, air quality, those types of things. Mm -hmm. Um, And much like those aspects of the indoor environment uh, do, uh, acoustics impact occupants in a variety of different ways. So by ensuring that you have good acoustical performance, a, you can make your uh, occupants or your staff more productive, uh, improving focus, and allowing them to actually efficiently get the tasks done that they need to get done during the day. Um, you create a healthier and less stressful environment. So mm-hmm. by dealing with unwanted intermittent noise, keeping noise levels from being too loud, you can actually uh, reduce 
that level of stress and those physiological impacts that uh, the noise have on people, like you know, increased heart rate and blood pressure, uh, and just the stress of being distracted, right, from uh, the tasks right. that they're doing. You can also make people just generally more comfortable, right? So by having a, a well-performing space acoustically, that space is going to support those occupants' tasks. It's actually going to be physically comfortable, so again, not too high you know, in terms of sound levels, not too low in terms of sound levels, not too reverberant, and a good acoustical space will also provide for clear communication where it's required or uh, a more private environment. Right? And so speech yeah. privacy is critical in a lot of different businesses, just for general everyday business activities, but mm -hmm. uh, perhaps even more so in specific environments like healthcare, human resource environments, uh, legal right. situations, and so on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you made a good point there just about the wellness factor and the occupant comfort. I know there's a lot of emphasis on like the well-building standard, for example, that focuses on that. And I guess, yeah, yeah acoustics is definitely a big part of that. So, Absolutely. Um, so um, we briefly touched on the the ABCs of, of acoustics, you know, absorb, block, and cover. Can you explain how the cover part of that equation works or how sound masking plays into uh, that part of the ABCs? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, at, at Logison, we only provide the cover portion of the ABCs, but um, mm -hmm. we are consistent in communicating the importance of that entire ABC framework, right? So just to set a, a context a little bit for this uh, for, in terms of the way people think of acoustics and, and how they address it, a lot of people consider acoustics to be uh, kind of a monolithic topic or, or aspect of the space. And in fact, the overall acoustical performance of the space is really a collection of a number of different characteristics. So the ABC's approach, uh, which again, as you said earlier, is, is a combination of absorbing and blocking and, and covering up with sound masking, recognizes that. Um, but what a lot of people fail to realize is that each of those elements contributes um, a necessary but different contribution to that overall acoustical performance. Mm -hmm. And so in some cases, you know, adding a particular acoustical treatment actually helps you to solve one part of the acoustical performance uh, situation, but it might exacerbate another one. So the really, okay. you know, key takeaway here is that you need to have a combination or a balance of each of these ABCs in order to uh, achieve a space that performs well acoustically overall. Right. So, like, just so, providing sound masking if you're not absorbing would, would probably exacerbate the problems, like what you're saying, right? Exactly. Or the sound masking portion may perform its part of that equation perfectly, but because there are other missing elements, again, the occupants of the space will perceive those other missing elements and not only the, the contribution of that. Um, so you may have a space that has perfect physical barriers uh, and no mm -hmm. absorption, and then the reverberation time is going to be uh, too high and it'll be uncomfortable, right, and amongst other yeah. um, issues. Um, so if you don't actually plan for this balanced type of approach, then the investment that you make in, in you know, sort of this cafeteria-style approach to acoustical design doesn't give you the full benefits um, until you end up having this this more complete approach. Yeah, that makes perfect sense for sure. The the problem actually in most uh, workspaces that we build is that the existing sound levels in those spaces are too low. They're almost library-like, um, and a sound masking system helps to correct for that. Uh, and the way that it does that is we use a, a system of in-ceiling electronics and speakers 
that will be custom designed to a client space and it introduces what most people would compare to an airflow like uh, sound into that space and precisely and consistently controls um, the background sound levels. So when that's done correctly, then unwanted noise from you know people performing their tasks in the space that would otherwise travel over a long distance actually gets covered up at a shorter distance and it uh, mm. interferes basically with your ability to to hear all of the unwanted noise that's around you. And masking works because our ears and brains can really only distinguish one sound of similar volume and frequency at the same time. And mm -hmm. so by introducing a, a constant level of a wide range of frequencies into that environment, it really blocks us from perceiving the noise around us. So masking doesn't physically block or absorb noise. It just interferes mm -hmm. with your ability to hear it. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So what would be some of the benefits then of using sound masking? Is the right word to say it's filtering out some of those sounds or it's just more, like you said, preventing you from, from picking up on those other sounds? Yeah, it's really preventing you from perceiving sounds that are there because what your your ears and your brain perceive is the masking sound, right? Mm -hmm. um, so actually, people experience this general effect every day. If you have a, a tap running, let's say, in the kitchen and someone is talking to you from another room, you can't mm -hmm. clearly understand what it is that they're saying because the sound of that running water is to some extent masking the voice of that other person. Uh, right. And that's the way a masking system works, only we do it in, obviously, a far more uh, precise and scientific way than running water. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a good example, though. Okay, that's a good illustration. I like that. Okay. Um, are there any potential, like, drawbacks or, like, let's say, pitfalls when people are using sound masking systems? Um, well, you'd asked about the benefits. Um, oh, right. And okay. so some of the, the benefits that you would have, obviously, is to increase speech privacy. This is one of the first things that people... Uh, tend to think of, um, mm -hmm. and a lot of the time people consider sound masking to be a design aspect for uh, open space environments because obviously we you know are lacking walls and and partitions now, mm -hmm. uh, but it's equally important in closed space and particularly from a speech privacy perspective. So, in a closed environment, we uh, expect you know the walls and doors and so on to provide us with the level of speech privacy we need, and that isn't always the case. Uh, with a sound masking system, you can actually ensure uh, levels of speech privacy uh, in those closed rooms. In an open space, it's a little less about speech privacy, really. Most people aren't looking for a private open environment, but they are looking for a productive one. Uh, and by reducing the intelligibility of speech, which is one of the things that um, employees typically complain is the most distracting part of their uh, work environment, you can increase productivity, right? So you allow people to work with greater focus and uh, and actually get their job done, fewer errors and less time. Comfort, obviously, another key thing. Uh, as I said before, just like there's a comfortable level for you know lighting and temperature and humidity, there's a comfortable level for sound in the space. You don't want the sound levels to be too high, uh, which are elements of the design that are controlled by the absorb and block part of the equation, uh, but you don't want them to be too low either, because if you're working in a library-like or a pin drop type of environment, then every little noise becomes you know, much more disruptive and noticeable over distance and, and so on. So sure. that's where something like the Logisound masking system can help you to provide um, you know, a correct and consistent spectrum uh, of sound uh, across your space. 
And then another benefit tends to be actually construction flexibility and cost savings. So once again, particularly in those closed environments, if we're designing uh, a space with an assumption of a very low background sound level, what tends to happen is we over-specify or overbuild the, the room shell, right? So we're overbuilding mm-hmm. walls and potentially ceilings and, and that type of thing, which tends to be uh, expensive and difficult to change over time. If you design those spaces with uh, a higher known level of background sound from a masking system, you can actually reduce the construction requirements and save uh, quite a lot of money um, on the build-out of that space in the first place. Yeah, so that sort of raises the question then, like how early on should architects and designers really consider bringing in someone to consider a sound masking system? Like how early in the process if if we're looking at construction costs and and that kind of thing? Yeah, it should be right from the beginning. Um, and in fact, one of the the you know, twists on that ABCs formula that we have uh, uh, been talking about with people recently is to actually switch the order uh, of that to CAB. Basically, uh, starting with the masking part uh, in order to set what the ambient sound level is in the space in order for you to then allow you to to more accurately specify what requirements you have for things like wall STC and and, uh, door and window performance and things like that. Uh, Because it's the combination of those things that that end up providing you with, again, that overall performance. But it's difficult to actually specify, again, a wall STC without knowing what the ambient sound level is going to be on the other side. Mm -hmm. So it's... it's, uh, Effectively, uh, ensuring a minimum background sound level uh, with a sound mm-hmm. masking system allows you to, to get into that uh, uh, design process with with more accuracy in terms of what your needs are. Yeah, definitely. It sounds like it needs to be pretty well fine-tuned from the get-go. Do you guys recommend um, designers and specifiers working with acousticians or sound professionals to tweak those environments so that they're right where they need to be? Um, I would generally say yes. I mean, obviously, you know, if someone is coming to us for information about a sound masking system, then, you know, we believe we are uh, fully expert uh, in that area. But uh, when it comes to that overall, you know, ABC's acoustical design strategy, you know, while we certainly provide good general advice, you know, for specific details and situations, going to an acoustical engineer or consultant is uh, is highly recommended. So, Sure. Okay. So what are some guidelines that our listeners can follow if they're considering specifying a sound masking system where they need to keep in mind? So I'd say at a high level, uh, a specification should include generally most of the things that you would have uh, when specifying anything. So you want to ensure that it has meets all the relevant certifications. Um, You need to stipulate proper design criteria for a sound masking system, and I'll explain a little bit more about that in a moment. Set okay. performance standards, um, insist on detailed reporting of results. Um, one of the challenges in our industry is that not a lot of people know an awful lot about sound masking systems to begin with, and they know less about you know what separates a good performing one from a poorly performing one. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of opaqueness in our industry in terms of clients really knowing whether or not they have a system that's working well or not. Uh, and that's one of the areas where... Uh, you know, we at Logison have actually been working quite hard to, A, increase the precision and accuracy of what we're doing, but B, increase the transparency and accountability 
to the customer. So, you know, we are ensuring that we are uh, both designing and tuning systems correctly, but then providing very detailed reports of results afterwards as well. Um, one of the difficulties that a lot of specifiers um, face when, you know, they're trying to craft a, a document for a sound masking system is that they will either use a specification from uh, one proprietary system um, that they have run across sometime in the past, or they will try to piece together what we often uh, jokingly refer to as a Franken-spec, right, something that is <laughs> sort of stitched together from, from various different specifications. Right. And the challenge with that is that in the Franken-spec situation, you actually have a specification that no one no product can really meet because it's bits and pieces from from different systems uh, approaches, and you probably wouldn't want to meet it in any way uh, because again it, it just doesn't work together right those different sections mm -hmm. and it's really difficult to to write a generic design and performance specification for sound masking because there's a lot of variability between the different product lines that are available on the market. Um, so one of the things that, again, yeah. we've done to try and, you know, make this easier for people is, uh, you know, we at Logizon developed uh, a generic specification that looks at sort of common uh, performance capabilities across systems and sets a, uh, you know, sort of a minimum performance bar level that everybody can have that's going to ensure um, uh, a well-operating system. And that's actually available on our website for anybody that's uh, interested in looking at that. Okay. Yeah, that's great. I know people love to have a look into some of those resources and, and kind of learn more about it. So that's great. Okay. Um, are there other considerations that uh, you know designers and specifiers should keep in mind? I mean, things related to maybe costs or standards or quality. I know you, you touched on a few of them, but mm -hmm. anything else along those lines? Yeah. I mean, there are when you're when you're really looking at uh, sourcing a sound masking system, you really have two primary areas that you're looking at as a tier one. Uh, criteria and the first one is system design. So unfortunately, again, sound masking is not really a commodity product, right? There's a mm -hmm. wide variety of the way that these systems are uh, engineered, installed, tuned, reported, and a lot of them, from the design perspective, are are effectively designed from the outset to fail, right? And and the primary aspect of the design that you need to be looking at is the size of the adjustment control zones. In each zone, you need to be able to have uh, precise control over both volume and frequency, which are key elements of the performance of the masking. And uh, by having zones that are too large uh, in the space, you end up having to make compromises across a, a, an area that introduces a lot of variability uh, in the levels that you're achieving. And so, you know, a, a typical type of specification that you would see historically might allow for a four decibel swing uh, in the overall volume of the masking as someone is walking through the space. Uh, but what our research has shown is that actually leads to approximately a 40% difference in speech privacy levels. Oh, wow. So if, uh, you know, someone sitting in an area with a high level of masking understands uh, 30 percent of a conversation in an area where they're within that lower range of that acceptable envelope they might understand 70 percent of a conversation and obviously that's um, to us at least uh, an unacceptable uh, level of variation mm -hmm. so the way that you deal with that is you ensure that the zone sizes are small and for us that limit is at three speakers 
uh, in open plan, and we ensure that every closed room has its own uh, independent control zone. So by, by designing with that type of localized flexibility, what you're doing is you're ensuring that the system can be tuned, right? It is, it is mm -hmm. flexible enough to be able to be accurately and precisely adjusted everywhere. So then the second tier one criteria is actually to ensure that the system is correctly tuned. Um, and the trouble there is that the tuning process is complicated and time-consuming. Um, and unless it's something that you do a lot and regularly, um, you know, it requires a level of skill and expertise and expensive equipment and so on. And even then, you know, you're looking at probably taking, you know, upwards of half an hour to tune a single zone. And if you have dozens or hundreds of zones across the system, then right. the manual process is, is really overly time-consuming for anybody to do a good job. So um, what we did is we actually developed our, our Logis on Target software, um, and that fully automates that uh, tuning process. So now instead of, you know, this half hour of time, you're looking at uh, just a few minutes per zone. And the right. results, because now a computer is doing it, obviously are, are far more precise. And, and that means that the customer is getting that consistent level of performance uh, from the masking system that they're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, that's a really good point. I'm sure our listeners uh, will appreciate that. And uh, for anybody that wants more information, obviously they can go to your website and find some more, I imagine. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, we tend to focus uh, a lot on education. Mm -hmm. Again, it's uh, not an area in the market that many people know a lot about. We're uh, happy to help you know, highlight what is going on with these technologies and uh, how to best implement them. Yeah, definitely. Well, I know our listeners will appreciate uh, appreciate that, and ultimately, so will the end users of the spaces they create, because you know they're the ones that have to live and work in them day in and day out. So, you know, anything the designers can do to make interiors more comfortable uh, for the occupants, I know, is going to go a long way in supporting their well-being. So, absolutely, yeah. and and that's actually a, a key point to you know elaborate on a little bit is that um, the, the actual cost of a sound masking system is more about foregone productivity from employees than it is about the cost of the hardware itself. Right. So because people cost so far outweighs the cost of the facility, uh, and particularly the small part of that that is contributed by the masking system, any tiny difference really in masking system performance has a, a pretty large dollar value impact on uh, uh, return on investment uh, with respect to, to people in the space. Sure. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. So. Okay. Well, uh, Nicholas, it's been great talking to you. Um, thank you again for being here. Oh, thank you again for having me. Enjoyed it. Okay, well, great. Well, that's all we have for today, everyone. Be sure to tune in again next week as we continue our series on acoustics. And as always, thanks and be well, everyone. Mm -hmm.